Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Churches podcast, where we are committed to building irresistible bridges between the unchurched and Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, well, they tell me that everybody in school today gets a medal, um, but if we had medals today, everybody would get one. You all deserve a medal for braving the elements and coming to church today. Give yourself a round of applause. Yes. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. I know we're Canadian and that's not really a storm, but just the fact that you got up and you looked outside and nothing kept you in bed. So glad that you're here today. And if you're joining us for the first time today, really hope that our time together thus far has been encouraging, uplifting to you. For those of you joining us from home, We're glad that you're with us, even though you're at home or wherever you are. We're thrilled that you're with us. Today, we're in part four, as Tyler said, part four of this series that we've been in. And I'm just going to be like Tyler for a minute. Everybody say part four. Yeah, it doesn't work. I guess you got to be in youth ministry to be cool and for it to work. So I just, but I decided to give it a shake. But listen, we're in this series, part four today. And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at the writings of both Dr. Seuss and Solomon, and we're discovering together how their writings provide each of us, for all of us, words of wisdom to live by. If you've missed any or all of this series so far, we've looked at uh, the famous, oh, the places you'll, you'll, you can go. We looked at the kind of unknown, obscure, yurtle, the turtle. Last week, we looked at what pet should I get. And today, we're going to look at, and to think I saw it on Mulberry Street. And before we jump in, I have to say that out of all the series that I've done, and I've been doing this for over 20 years now, of all the series that I've done, this is one of the series, I think, looking back, that I've gotten some of the most feedback around. You know, I've gotten so many social media messages, text messages, emails. I've had some really interesting and vulnerable conversations in the lobby after service, just overwhelmed by the response of this service. And it's incredible to me, it's heartwarming to me to hear how the Lord is using this series, how he is using this teaching to speak to so many of us in so many different ways. Last week, I left so encouraged, and I went home, and I did something extremely religious. I had a nap. Some of you know that that a very religious thing to do on Sunday afternoon is to go home and nap, and I did that. And after I woke up, I had a coffee, and then Lisa and I and our little guy Parker, we went off to uh, my in-law's house to watch football. Uh, Lisa doesn't watch, but her dad and I love to watch football together, especially the playoffs. And so we sat down. And while I knew then what I was going to be speaking about today, I didn't know that I was going to be confronted with it then and there and in a couple different ways. Let me explain what I mean. It started out, uh, it started out with this uh, homemade chip dip. Uh, it was kind of one of those seven-layer dip things. You know what I'm talking about? Any? Okay. You all need to get out way more. If you don't know what a seven-layer dip is, you are missing out. This thing, huge, huge tray of it. It was sitting on the counter, and man, it was so good. It was so good. In fact, at one point, I heard myself say with a mouthful of food, like, I could eat this whole thing myself, and I almost did it. That's why I wore sweatpants. Like, I continued to eat and eat and eat, continued to watch the game. Now, the game that I really wanted to see was the second game. If you follow football, it's kind of like today. I'm really interested in the second game today. Last week, I was as well, the Dallas-San Francisco game. I was kind of rooting for Dallas, didn't really care because my team has been long out of it. But I was kind of rooting for Dallas. And unfortunately, the game went long. And so we had to leave before we saw the end of it. And we had to get Parker home to bed and all those kinds of things. So I was kind of you know, watching the score unfold on my phone. And in the end, spoiler alert, Dallas lost. And while I was sad about that, I was kind of rooting for them. While I was sad about that, I wasn't anything. I wasn't anything like this guy. Check it out. Now listen, 
I love sports as much as the next person. I've been known to be a little bit competitive. I'm really, you know, really passionate about my teams. But that, that is on a whole other level, isn't it? Now, here's the thing. Last week, I was reminded of what I knew I was going to talk about today, and that is this. In a culture that encourages self-indulgence, those who are wise exercise self-restraint. I mean, think about it. Was that passionate or was that out of control? Was the chip dip really that good or was I just kind of out of control? In a culture that encourages self-indulgence, those who are wise exercise self-restraint. In a culture, in the culture that we live in, that encourages self-indulgence, we need to have and live with self-restraint, self-control. What I'm saying is this, it's on you. It's on you that the older you get, the more and more life is on you. And in a culture that encourages self-indulgence, we need to have and exercise restraint. Restraint literally meaning under control. The point of today is this. You and I, we, children of all ages, we need to get ourselves under control. In in a culture, in a world that encourages self-indulgence, those who are wise, those who are wise exercise self-restraint. Now, you know this. If we were talking about some snacks and some chips, it's not really that big a deal. We could probably think of something else to talk about in our time together, but this is so important, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. Isn't it true that some of your greatest heartaches and some of your greatest pains are a result of someone in your life who lacked self-control and self-restraint? That for them, maybe it was your mom, it was your dad, it was someone you dated, it was someone you work with, it was someone you married, that because they didn't have self-restraint, because they weren't able to exercise self-restraint in some area of their life, it didn't just impact their life, did it? It directly impacted yours. Maybe it still is. This is so important because let's, let's take it a little further and a little more personal. Isn't it true that some of your greatest regrets are because of a lack of self-restraint or self-control in your life, you saw something, you felt something, you wanted something, and you couldn't resist. You had to say yes. You couldn't say no. You couldn't help it, right? You couldn't help yourself. See, we live in a world that is going to cause us and, and, and encourage us to abandon control and surrender to indulgence. It's going to encourage us to do that. And at the same time, we'll give in. And we'll have no idea that at the end of the day, we're actually doing something to ourselves and hindering ourselves in such a way that will keep us from the very things that we want most in life. And in a a world, in a culture that encourages, encourages self-indulgence, we need to have and live with self-restraint, self-control. Because the longer you go without self-restraint, the longer you go without being able to control yourself, you will rob yourself of the very things that you want most in life. And it doesn't matter who you cheer for at the end of the day, you, not your team, you will lose. This is so important. This is so irrelevant to, to all of us, to children of all ages. And that's why this series is so important. And that's why this series is so relevant. And I think that's why there's so much reaction I'm hearing from this series, because I think it's connecting with us all in a very deep and personal way. I think it's, it's revealing some of the things that we've seen happen or not happen in our own lives. And hopefully we're leaning in because I believe in this series, we're looking at the writings of Solomon. He is said to be the wisest man who ever lived. And in his God-given wisdom, he wants to say to you, and he says to me, I want you to win. That I want to coach you with wisdom and in wisdom to the wins in your life. 
If you've missed any or all of this series, we're, we're looking at Solomon and his writings, and Solomon was the son of King David. You've heard of David and Goliath. That same David was Solomon's father, and when he died, Solomon became king of the nation of Israel. And when that happened, God came to him in a dream. God extended to him an offer that I'm sure every single one of us would love a crack at. God came to Solomon in a dream, and he said, because I loved your father, I'm also going to love you. And because I made a promise to your father, I also want to make a promise to you. Go ahead. You can ask me for anything. You get one shot at this. You get one wish. Ask me for anything, and you shall have it. Now, Solomon was young. He was around 17 or 18 when he became the king of this nation. And I'm sure he was overwhelmed with this responsibility that was put on him at such a young age. And somehow, despite all the responsibility that was thrust on him, and I'm sure as overwhelmed as he was, he didn't ask for long life. He didn't ask for lots of money. He didn't even ask for the death of his enemies. No, somehow he had the presence of mind. He had enough wisdom to know that he needed wisdom. And so he asked God, God, would you give me wisdom? And this, I want to show you what God's response to his request was. God said, I, meaning that I will give you, Solomon, a wise and discerning heart. And this is so important. We sometimes think that wisdom is in here, that it's between our ears, but it's not. It's inside. It's who you are. Wisdom isn't found in what you know. It starts with who you are. I'm going to give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will have never been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Solomon was, was, was with God, and God basically said to him, as we can see right here, I'm going to make you the wisest man who has ever or will ever live. And the book of Proverbs is essentially that God-given wisdom and insight that came from God himself. Solomon takes that and puts it to paper for you and for me. And in this series, we're unpacking this writing together. And my hope and prayer throughout this entire series has been and will continue to be that you, no matter what you do or don't believe, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, my hope and prayer for you is that you would allow this God-given wisdom to do its work in you. Because if you do, I believe the Lord will use this to both protect you and to help you prosper. Because in a very real sense, that's what wisdom will do. It will protect you and it will help prosper you. And don't mistake this. Prosperity doesn't necessarily mean financially. I'm not some health, wealth preacher, okay? That's not what this is. Prosperity is that you would win in life, that you, that you would win in life, that, that you would get to the places that you want to go, that you would be the person that you want to be. And I think everybody wants that. You want that. I want that. Parents, we want that in the lives of our kids, right? Kids want that for their futures. How do we get there? How do we get that? Solomon, the wisest man who has ever lived, is about to tell us how we can both be protected and how we can prosper in the ways that each of us wants to in life. Listen to what he says. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Like a person whose walls are broken through. So we have this Old Testament imagery of a city with walls that went all the way around it. And what was happening was that the people within those walls were protected and they were able to prosper. It's a picture of life. It's a picture of your life. It's a picture of my life. And because this is a picture of our lives, let's not just read this. Let's not just listen to this. Let's try to absorb this. And to do that, let's look at another translation. Same Verse, different version. It says, a city broken down without walls is a man without restraint over his spirit. Oftentimes in the scriptures and different translations, you'll see the word restraint and control used interchangeably. Essentially what Solomon is saying here is that if you lack self-restraint in your life, the walls of your life are going to come down. You will be defenseless. Let's continue to absorb this. Another 
version, same verse. A man without self-control is, there it is, as defenseless as a city with broken down walls. The Solomon is saying, if you lack this thing called self-control or self-restraint in your life, you are defenseless. And if you follow that thought through, what happened to a city in this era when it was defenseless? It was overtaken, right? That it was enslaved. And what Solomon is saying is, if you lack this thing called self-restraint or self-control in your life, you are defenseless. And eventually, you will be enslaved by indulgence. You, 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 you will be enslaved by your feelings, enslaved to your thoughts. You'll get to the place in your life where, where it won't be your will that will guide and govern and control your life. It will be your emotions. And we see this in our culture all the time. This is so, so common. And like most things in our world and like most things in life, this is very easy to see in the lives of other people, right? But it's very difficult to see in ourselves. I mean, it's difficult to look in the mirror and see that our thoughts and our feelings are making our decisions. And it's very difficult for us to see that that is actually what makes us defenseless. And that's why the walls of our lives continue to come down. As just as Dr. Seuss used fantasy to try to speak to reality, Solomon, in the same way, to help his readers, is trying to leverage something that they could all see and understand externally to help them see and understand something that they needed to internally. But sadly, for many of us, if not all of us, this gets lost on us because we don't live in this Old Testament era. We don't live in a world where our, our cities are surrounded by walls, right? We don't live in a world where our, our cities are surrounded by walls that serve as our protection and, and provide us prosperity. We don't understand this, this culture where actually their homes were attached to the inside of the city walls, that actually everything they had was hinged on this protection that surrounded them. We don't get that. We just think of our own homes, right? So to try to internalize this a little bit more, as Solomon's early readers would have, let's look at the message translation. Just one more translation. Hopefully this will make it a little bit clearer. A person without self-control is like a house with its doors and windows knocked out. Hopefully this is getting clearer and clearer, right? Hopefully this is hitting a little closer to home because you know that if the door and the windows of the home that you live in are knocked out, you know that you're vulnerable, right? Especially on a day like today, you're subject to the elements. You know if you have no windows and door on your house, you know that you're in danger. You, you, you kind of get that. And all the thief called indulgence has to do is come in and tempt you with, with popularity and with pleasure and with pride. And you're going to just chase it like a squirrel chases nuts. And then your whole life is nuts, right? It can. And my guess, it has happened to all of us. It has happened and it can happen so easily. And we find ourselves defenseless, having no idea that the walls of our lives have come down and that we are vulnerable and we are not able to be protected in a way that's going to ensure that we are going to prosper in the ways that we so desperately want to in our lives. I'll say it again, in a world, in a culture that encourages self-indulgence, those who are wise exercise self-restraint. This is what Solomon is trying to help you and I see in his writing and what Dr. Seuss was trying to help children see in this story. So what I want to do is I want to look back from, we're going to go back from Solomon to Seuss, and I want to look a little bit closer at his writing. And there are three things that I want to draw your attention to that I believe with all of my heart will help us see how important and critical, essential it is that we develop and live with restraint in our lives so that we can be protected in a way that is going to ensure that we experience the things that we want to experience in this life. The first thing that I want to show you is that we need self-restraint to see the truth. That literally, I need self-restraint. I need to live with self-restraint in my life to see the truth 
to see things that are real, to see reality, to, look, to have enough self-restraint to be able to look at something and say, this is reality, this is real. To see reality requires self-restraint. Let's look back and to think I saw it on Mulberry Street. You heard a summation of the book at the beginning, but I want to take you back to the very beginning of the book. I want to say this. It says, when I leave home to walk to school, dad always says to me, Marco, keep your eyelids up and see what you can see. But when I tell him where I've been and what I think I've seen, he looks at me and sternly says, your eyesight's much too keen. Stop telling such outlandish tales. Stop turning minnows into Wales, right off the bat, we see, I need, I need self-restraint to be able to see reality. What Dr. Seuss is trying to help children of all ages see is what you and I live in every single day. That the world you live in, the world we live in, we live in a world, we live in a time, we live in a culture that takes small, insignificant things and makes them seem really, really big, don't we? And we live in a world, we live in a culture that takes really big, significant things that dis dismisses and diminishes them as if they're really small. And the problem with that is that it eventually distorts your view of reality. You don't see the truth. You don't see what is real. You don't see what's really true. It distorts your view of reality, and that reality or that view of it defines your life. And this happens to all of us. When you get to the point in life where you take you know, something that is big and significant and you reduce it to minnow-size insignificance, or when you take something that is small and insignificant and you make a whale out of it, you are distorting your view of reality of life. And all of a sudden, you get to the place where you don't know what's real anymore and you don't know what's up or what's down. You don't know which way to go. You don't know what to say yes to. You don't know what to say no to anymore. And all of a sudden, you're not winning at life, and you don't know why. You don't know what's going on and what's up from down, and you just can't figure it out anymore. And you get to the point in life where you don't know what to say yes to. You don't know what to say no to. And see, the problem with this is that in every single one of our lives, again, regardless of age and stage, regardless of what you do or don't even believe yet, every single one of us is going to find ourselves in moments in life where we are going to have to have and use self-restraint that there are going to be times in your life where you're going to have to say no to something that everybody else seems to be saying yes to. And there are going to be times in life where you're going to have to say yes to something that everybody else seems to be saying no to. And this is true for all of us. Now, just to make this a little more personal for a moment, please indulge me. I'm a Gen Xer. Don't do the math. Uh, just keep that between us. I'm a Gen Xer, and recently I read a survey that summarized all the different generations, summarized yours and mine. And in this survey, I read about my generation, and I was shocked at what I read about Gen Xers. If you're in that boat with me, I was shocked to see that for my generation, Generation X, when it summarized my generation, I was shocked to discover that on a scale of morality, my generation, according to the survey, my generation believes that it is more immoral to not recycle than it is to watch pornography. Now, I grew up in the internet age. I grew up when I came up when the internet took over the world and where everything could be known and everything could be had with the click of a mouse. I grew up with that. The world has never been and will never be the same since. And in that era, pornography became incredibly accessible to anyone, anywhere, at any time. And according to this survey, my generation and beyond believes that it is more immoral to not recycle than it is to watch pornography. 
Now, I think recycling is important. Don't get me wrong. I, re- I believe recycling is important. We recycle in our home. We have a number of different bins. I'm very faithful to it. And I do that not because I think we need to you know, protect the environment. That's not why I do it. I do it because I believe as a follower of Jesus, I have a responsibility to care and steward God's creation. I believe that with all of my heart. However, having said that, I have never sat down with a couple a husband and a wife, you know, someone who's, I've never sat down with people where the husband or the wife says, I'm done. I can't take it anymore. We're through. He doesn't put the cans in the blue bin. That has never happened to me. Don't think it will ever happen. What I have spent years of my life doing is walking with and working with men, women, boys, and girls who are trying to repair and recover from the destruction and the devastation that pornography has brought into their minds, into their hearts, into their lives, into their relationships, into their homes. Now, please hear me. That's just one example. But what I'm trying to say is this. This kind of morality runs all the way through my generation and beyond. And eventually, we get to the point in this world where we don't know what a minnow is anymore, and we don't know where the whale is anymore. Students in the room, I want to talk to you for just a minute. If you're, if you're in middle school, if you're in high school, I want to talk to you for just a minute. Not your parents. I just, and if you're sleeping right now, just kind of lean in for just give me just two minutes of your time. Just lean in for a second. This is your reality, right? This is what you live every single day. That you're going to find yourself in moments where mom and dad are not going to be there when those temptations come. And in that moment, in that moment, it's all going to be on you minnows and whales. And in those moments, you are going to have the opportunity to say some really wise no's to this world and some really wise yeses to this world. And I believe you can, and I pray that you will, because it's your life. It's not your mom's life. It's not your dad's life. It's your life, and it's your future. You can exercise self-restraint in your life. I believe it with all my heart, and I pray that you will. I pray that you will say some really wise no's to this world and some really wise yeses to this world. And that's why our student ministry is so important because we want you to be linked, as Tyler said, with other students all across the city that you realize you're not alone. But at the end of the day, the decision is yours. And I pray that you will have the courage and the strength to have the wisdom to say yes when it's a minnow or a whale and no to a minnow or to a whale pray that you will. I pray that you will. Because the rest of us wish we could go back and do it all over again. So we're praying for you. As a church, we're praying for you. But this is true for all of us. Every single one of us, children of all ages, we need self-restraint to see the truth. But we also need self-restraint to imagine what could be. And that's one of the things that I love most about this book. I love this book for a lot of different reasons, but one of the things I love about it is the middle. And essentially, the whole book is the middle. I mean, it starts out with him saying, I see a horse in a wagon, but then once he gets out into Mulberry Street, all of a sudden, what is becomes what could be. And next thing you know, there's a zebra and an elephant and a band. I mean, it's just endless possibilities. And here's what I love about that. I want to imagine what I could be. I want to start with reality. I want to start with what's real. But from there, I want to imagine the possibilities. Who could I be? What could I be? What could be better? What could be different? Who could you be? What could be? I'm sure that's what 
King David did for Solomon. As a king, but as a father, I'm sure he picked up his little boy Solomon and put him in his lap. And he said, son, you're, you're, you're young right now, but one day, one day you could be a king. I'm sure he put his hand on his chest and said, there's a king inside this little boy. I know that because that's what I do for my son. I got a four-year-old Parker and he's wild. Oh man, he's wild. But every day I pick him up and I put my hand on his chest. And if Lisa were up here, she'd tell you I do this every day. I put my hand on his chest and I say, you're a big deal, buddy. You are a big deal. And I believe you are a big deal. I believe your heavenly father has, wants to breathe. He wants to breathe belief and encouragement into your life today about what could be tomorrow. I believe he wants to do that. I believe he has more in store for your life than you could possibly imagine. I believe he wants to breathe meaning and purpose into your life, but that he wants you to imagine all the good things it could be. And that's what I love about this book. I love it because this is Dr. Seuss's testimony of what could be. It's, it's literally the living experience. This is the first book that Dr. Seuss ever wrote. And after he wrote it, he went to a publisher to see if he could get it published, and it was rejected. He went to another publisher. It was rejected again. They say the third time's a charm, but not for Seuss. He went to a third publisher, and once again, he was rejected. The fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, the tenth. 27 times he was rejected. 27 times he was rejected. Dr. Seuss believed that he could be a children's book author. He, he believed that he had something to say. He believed that he had something to say to the children of the next generation. He believed that he could offer them words of wisdom to live by. He believed that with all of his heart, but publisher after publisher after publisher after publisher told him, no, you are a horse and a wagon. What does that have to do with self-restraint, you ask? Everything, everything, because after all that rejection, I'm sure he felt discouragement, I'm sure he felt disorientation, I'm sure he felt insecurity and doubt, but he did not give in to the indulgence of self-doubt and self-pity. Instead, he persevered and continued to push, believing in his writing and believing he had something to say, and on that 28th attempt, it was in fact published, and to date, that man has sold over 650 million books. He is arguably the most influential children's book author of all time. What could be? No matter who you are, no matter what you've been to and through in your life, no matter what you do or don't believe, every single one of us is going to experience discouragement, defeat, and doubt. There are going to be people in your life who are going to tell you that you're nothing more than a horse and a wagon. But I'm here today to affirm the words of Seuss and Solomon and encourage you that you are more and that you can be more. That your heavenly father has imagined more for your life than you could possibly imagine for your own. That he has greater things in store for you than you could ever dream of yourself. And I believe he wants to breathe that belief and that faith in you and that if you would just trust in him, with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If you would acknowledge him in all your ways, if you would embrace his wisdom and exercise self-restraint, I believe that God will make possible happen in your life, that he will breathe belief and faith in you today like you have never imagined. I believe that with all of my heart. Don't let the indulgence of emotion cause you to waste the rest of your life. 
We need self-restraint to see the truth, to see things as they really are. You and I, we need self-restraint to imagine what could be, and we need self-restraint to do what should be. To do what should be. I think the thing that I love most about this book, believe it or not, is the way that it ends. And I, and I love the way that it ends and, and for a number of different reasons. But the thing I love most about it is at the end, you know, after the, all, all the possibilities, after all that could be, the son gets home and the father says to the son, son, what did you see today? And the son's thinking to himself, should I tell my dad everything I imagined, right? Should I tell my dad everything that I, that I, that I dreamt of? Should I tell dad everything that I feel? He thinks all those different things, I'm sure. And then in the end, he says, no, I'm just going to tell dad the truth. It was a horse in a wagon. Now, some people will say that's just Dr. Seuss reminding us that adults will steal the creativity of children. I'm sure there's probably some of that going on, but I love how this book ends and I'll tell you why. I love how this book ends because in the end, the son tells the father what's right and what's true. And that's what should be. There are some things in life that should be. There are some things that are good and are right and are wise and they should be. There are just some should be's in life. And even though there are times in this world where nine out of 10 people are going to say what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right, that doesn't make it so. There are some things in life that should be. And I think somewhere deep down inside of us, we all know this. We may, we may lose sight of it somewhere along the way, but I think there's something in you and something in me that we know there are just some things that should be. We even know this when we're young. And I think that's why this little nine second video makes me laugh so much. It goes by quick. So watch it closely. That little Oreo cookie smuggler, he knows that there's just some things that should be, right? This is the proverbial hand in the cookie jar. Like, he knows there's some things that should be, that I'm not supposed to have the cookies, but I want the cookies. So the kid takes the cookies, and in private, he indulges himself. And I get that. I think we all get that. I think all of us have been guilty of indulging ourselves from time to time. So with that in mind, let's indulge ourselves just a little bit more. Let's watch that video one more time. It's only nine seconds. Just watch it a little bit closer this time. One more time. <laughs> that door opens up and the speed at which that kid grabs them cookies and jumps up and his eyes get super big and he put like, wait, the speed at which he does that, it just kills me every single time. And I, the thing I love about it the most, that could have been a home video for me, like, he smooths out the blankets, like, right? <laughs> Nothing to see here. It's all good. You know, these aren't the droids you're looking for. Like, I just love that he just kind of does that. And I know that that video is quick. I know it was a little bit grainy. It's pretty dated, right? I don't know how many people watch America's Funniest Videos anymore. But here's the thing. As dated as that video is, it begs the question, who, who are you when no one is looking? Who are you when no one is looking? What's really going on in your life when nobody's looking? When the door of your private world gets opened, what's really going on? I ask because that's where self-restraint gets exercised. Who you are in that moment is who you really are. And it's what happens in that moment that defines you and defines whether you're worthy of trust 
It defines and establishes your level of credibility, not who you are when everybody's looking, because anybody can do that. Who are you when it's just you? Look at yourself in the mirror in that moment, and that is who you really are, and that is who I really am. The game doesn't matter. That moment of truth matters. Who are you when no one is looking? Wow. Wow. I think every single one of us, I think every single one of us have some discrepancies in who we're seen as and who we really are when that private door opens. And see, here's the thing. Every single one of us have experienced hurt, loss. Many of us are trying to put back the pieces of broken lives as a result of either someone else's lack of self-restraint or our own lack of self-restraint in some area or arena of our lives. And that's why Dr. Seuss wrote this story to children and why Solomon in his God-given wisdom wrote to you and to me today. Because self-restraint, regardless of what you do or don't believe, it is self-restraint that will determine whether the walls of your life stay up and you are protected in a way that will allow you to prosper in the ways that you want to in life, or it will be your lack of self-restraint and your inability to exercise self-restraint that will cause the walls of your life to come down, leaving you defenseless in your life. And you don't need a 30-minute sermon to tell you that. My guess is, regardless of how old you are, how young you are, you've got enough life experience to tell you that that's true. So, what could you do today to develop self-restraint in your life to ensure that you are protected in a way that will help you prosper tomorrow? Self-restraint is essentially what you say yes to. Self-restraint is actually what you say no to. So the point of it all is, regardless of what you do or don't believe, it's all on you. God has given you the words to live by. God has given you his wisdom through Solomon to live by. It's on you to absorb it and apply it and allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to you in those moments of truth. But sometimes it's just going to be on you. And you have the opportunity to say some really wise no's in this world and some really wise yeses in this world. So for you and for me, for all of us, we need to begin For some of us, we need to continue to develop self-restraint in our lives. And one of the best ways to do that is to actually choose circles. You, You hear us talk about this all the time. Tyler alluded to it without alluding to it a little bit earlier, that community is vital to all of our lives, not just students. And it's very easy to come into an environment like this and sit and nod your head and feel something for a moment and then walk out the door and do nothing. But it's in those moments where you take another step further and you choose circles and you choose community that you can begin to surround yourself, not just with walls, but with people who will help ensure your protection and ensure your prosperity. Every single one of us has things going on behind closed doors, right? But before those walls and those doors and those windows of your lives come down, 
and expose what's really going on behind those closed doors and all those things in your life, those indulgences that are undoing your life, before all that goes public, because it will eventually anyway, why not intentionally choose to open up the door to a few and let them in and expose yourself, be vulnerable in a way that you could be seen for who you really are and what you really are and aren't because it's in that moment, as awkward as it will be on the front end, it's in that moment over time that you will develop the kind of community, bonds, and relationships where you will be fully known and fully loved. Love for who and what you really are, but love so much that those around you would refuse to let you and leave you stay there. What would it look like if you had that in your life? What would it look like? What would your past look like if you had had that back then? If you're anything like me, I'm sure your today would look a whole lot different. That statistic I mentioned a little bit earlier is a statistic that I'm very much a part of. Pornography is a reality in my life. When I close my eyes, I can still see images that I saw when I was nine years old. And as hard as I've tried, I can't unsee it. And as much as I don't want to and haven't wanted it to, those images have followed me. And they've caused me to desire other images and to see other things. And over the years of my life, I have gone through so much heartache and I've also caused so much heartache because of that one area where I have lacked self-restraint in my life. And after trying so hard and after praying so many times, God, will you take this away from me? I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want to look at this anymore. It wasn't as much as I meant all those prayers. It wasn't until I sat down with a couple of guys and I shared with them, as awkward as it was, what was happening in my life behind closed doors. And in that moment of vulnerability, I didn't find people rolling their eyes. I actually found people affirming, you're not alone. And after that awkward moment where we we all kind of outed ourselves, as awkward as that was, over time, it led to conversations. Conversations and conversations. Eventually, it led to text messages. Hey, I'm praying for you today. You're not alone. Hey, could you pray for me? I'm really struggling right now. The temptation is so thick, I can almost cut it with a knife. Will you pray for me? And the victories that have happened over my life and in my life over the last number of years are not because of who I am and because I'm strong enough. They've happened because of a moment of vulnerability that has led to years of community. And I have fortified my walls like I believe you can and you need to in yours. And that doesn't happen on an island. It happens when you surround yourself with the walls of community. That's why you will continually hear us challenge you to choose circles. And if you don't have that kind of community in your life, why not take a step towards it today? It's really easy. When you walk out these doors today, to your left, there's an orange table. And there's someone at that table who would love to speak with you today about what you could do to take a step towards that kind of community in your life. And I'm not going to lie, it's awkward at first. And it's not like, hey, you sit in a room with a group of strangers and you're all like, okay, we're all going to share our dirty secrets. Who wants to go first? Like, it's not that kind of thing. It really isn't. It really isn't. And I'm not saying, hey, the first time you sit down with a group of people, you're going to be like, I found my best friends for life. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes you go to those kind of things and you're like, I don't, I got nothing in common with these people. They are weird. And so you're like, let's reshuffle the deck. Like, let me try again. And that's okay. That's okay. 
You didn't meet the love of your life the first time you went out with someone, did you? And if you did, we have words for people like you where I come from, <laughs> right? I know I went out with a lot of nutsos before I found, like, not anyway. That's a whole other sermon. Come back next week. No, the point is this. You know what you need, and we want to do all we can to help you find it. And it's not on an island. It's fortifying your walls and community. So choose circles. If you're watching from home today, we are so glad that you're here. And as Tyler said, if you go to the top three, you can just, with a few clicks of your mouse, you can take a step towards finding that community from the comfort of your own home. We hope and pray that you will because you need it. I need it. We all need it. In a world, in a culture that encourages self-indulgence, what would it look like if we became a community that developed and lived with self-restraint? Would your marriage be different? Would your relationships be different? Would your attitude be different? Would your vocabulary be different? Would your weekends be different? Would your bank balance be different? Yeah. That's what you want. And that's what your heavenly father wants for you. And we wanna do all we can to partner with you so that you can see it happen in your life. We're gonna continue this series. Part five's coming your way next week. We hope that you'll be back. We really, really do. But between now and then, I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray that this would be more than something you hear. It'd be more than something you might even nod your head and agree with. My hope is that it's something that you will hear and do something about today. So I wanna pray that you would have the courage and the strength to do just that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I wanna thank you so much for the opportunity to be together today. I thank you that I'm surrounded by people who must work for the post office because not even the snow is going to keep them from church. I thank you that we could gather together in this way and in the quietness and the safety of this place that you would allow us to open up your word and open up the writings of Seuss as well and see what every single one of us needs to experience in our lives. That God, the walls of our lives need to be fortified with restraint and community so that we can be protected in a way that would help us to prosper tomorrow. And I pray for every single person in this room, every child of every age. I pray for every person at home that in the name of Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, you would give them the courage and the strength to not just hear, but to take action and do, to fortify their walls in a way that would secure their future tomorrow. I thank you for every single person in this room. And I pray that, Father, you would help them and empower them, that you would embolden them in their world and their realities, that you would give them in the courage and strength to know what's right and have the courage and strength to do it, no matter what this world says or does. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we close. My good friend Amy is going to come, and she is going to, with her beautiful God-given voice, lead us in a song that speaks of victory. And this song is really, again, like all the songs we sing, it's essentially a prayer put to music. And it says, I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory because the battle belongs not to me. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord, that he is with you. He is for you. He can be trusted. He is faithful. He can provide strength. He will make a way where there seems to be no way. You can trust him no matter what is or isn't happening in your life today. So would you join me and sing this song to the Lord? I'm going to see a victory. God bless. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If you have any questions, you're looking for ways to take your next step, 
please visit us on our website, bridgechurches.ca. Much love. God bless.